What's up, everybody? Welcome to the pregame edition of the Inside OU podcast. Uh, today, OU takes on UCLA. That game will be on at about 7 o'clock local time here in Oklahoma, 5 o'clock local tip-off at the Rose Bowl as OU prepares to take you on the Bruins. tip-off. <laughs> tip-off. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's a basketball guy, hey, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I, I, I love football, but I, I'm just whenever I do these podcasts, John, I'm just so used to just, you know, like tip-off, uh, pick-and-roll, uh, ISO, <laughs> you know, like, I'm still I'm still in the frame of mind, and Thunder Media Day starts like in three weeks, so it's going to be a seamless transition. Apparently, he's a PTP, baby, <laughs> a type of dandy, Brady Trantham. I wish I wish I was that good, um, but uh, for everybody out there that wants to listen to OU football talk, I'm I apologize. Kickoff is at five <laughs> o'clock local time and at the Rose Bowl. So, uh, John. Uh, by the way, everybody, Rufus was a little busy yesterday. I don't know if we're going to be able to get him on. Um, he's going to be doing radio stuff, I believe, from 4 to 5 on 107.7. Yeah, yeah 107.7, the franchise uh, from Twin Peaks off I-40 in Oklahoma City. So if you guys are listening to this and uh, the game still hasn't started, go out there and go check it out. We got all of our uh, franchise people out there having fun, so go in it, join in on the fun. But, John, this is the pregame show. And I, um, before we get started with UCLA, I feel like I need to explain some things a little bit. Um, we didn't have the pregame show for South Dakota for two reasons. One, I wasn't there, as you all know by now. Like if you've listened to this show, I was in San Francisco on you vacation for the weekend. The wrong week to be in California. <laughs> you should be in California this week. I know it, it almost worked out perfectly. Almost worked out perfectly, but. I'm not that lucky, John. Um, and the other reason is because it was frigging South Dakota. There was nothing that we really needed to predict. There was nothing that we were afraid of. There was nothing that we were particularly looking for. Even though some things uh, occurred in that game, John, that were, you know, as the week has gone on, pretty damn concerning. So um, with that in mind, I just wanted to explain why we didn't have a, a game to pregame. So Sorry for that. But now, UCLA, John. Um, basically, you know, it's just kind of the same formula that we did um, for the Houston pregame. And I'll just start with this. What are three things that you want to see out of OU? Not necessarily things that um, will help OU win this game because, I mean, OU is a 23.5-point favorite. Um, but what are some things that you want to see out of OU, not necessarily for this game, but moving forward? Yeah, I think this might be something that stands up uh, throughout the season, Brady, and that is uh, turnovers. I want to see, you know, 11 last year is what the Sooner defense came up with. I want to see takeaways. I want to see Oklahoma's defense uh, strip the football, come up with loose balls, fall on bouncing balls, whatever it is. Uh, last week, they got three against South Dakota. That was a FBS school, a, uh, sorry, FCS school, a 1AA. That can't be a one-off. They have to get turnovers. And here's why. UCLA... Turnover-wise, in Chip Kelly, under Chip Kelly, in in his eight victories, I'm sorry, in his career victories at UCLA, they're plus. I was about to say eight. you're being very kind. Yeah, no, <laughs> he doesn't have eight yet. In his victories at UCLA so far, they're plus eight in the turnover battle. In his losses, they're minus eleven in the turnover battle. Yikes. Last year's game in Norman, uh, what did Oklahoma get in that one? Zero interceptions, zero. <laughs> fumble recoveries we should have known a really bad ucla team we should have known <laughs> i'm telling you dtr dorian thompson robinson uh has a bit of a reputation uh, as being sloppy with the football um he threw 194 passes last year only through four interceptions zero at ou he comes out this year uh in the first game against cincinnati 24 14 loss he throws two interceptions 
the kid is the kid is trying to turn the football over. Okay, I, I'm telling you, he is trying to help the defense out. OU's defense needs to do its part and get the football away from him. Exactly, and that's probably the positive thing that you can take away from South Dakota is yes, the opponent, but OU physically visibly got turnovers so they can at least have that in the back of their mind and Buki said it um, to you guys in the post-game press conference after that game um, getting an interception getting a fumble recovery just makes you hungrier so hopefully the Sooners can take that hunger and force some early turnovers um, early on in this game and just leave absolutely no doubt in everybody's mind who's going to win this game because the last thing you want to do on the road Mm -hmm. with an inexperienced offensive line and some inexperience on the defensive side of the football is give a bad team some hope. Once they start believing every like the two and eleven or whatever Chip Kelly's record is prior to this game, that all goes out the window if they have some hope in the second or third quarter. So turnovers are are especially important. Um, I, I would assume one of these other three things you're looking for is something to do with the left tackle position, right? Um, I saved that for the three things I'm afraid of. We'll oh. get into that in the oh. next segment. No, uh, something else I want to see. The second thing I want to see out of Oklahoma in this game. A little bit more Grant Calcaterra would uh, would satisfy my uh, my hunger there for a good tight end play. He's got in two games so far. Oklahoma has had two routes. Uh, he's had he's got two catches for twenty yards. He's an All American tight end. He is literally he's he's first team All Big Twelve in my opinion. He's as good a tight end uh, receiving wise as there is in the country. He's very talented. He's got an unbelievable catch radius. He's got super sticky hands. Throw it anywhere near him and he's going to catch it. Dude's had two catches this year. Now, part of that is you have a you have a new offensive line. Okay, quarterbacks under under pressure a little bit. The other part is, yeah, okay, you've got a new quarterback. He's not a hundred percent sure of you know building a rapport with one receiver, or two receivers, or three receivers. So what's he doing? He's spreading it to everybody. He's spreading it to. Let me give you the names: C.D. Lamb, Charles Durambo, Jaden Hazelwood, Nick Basquin, Jeremiah Hall, Trajan Bridges, A.D. Miller, Theo Weiss, Trey Sermon, Grant Calcaterra, Austin Stogner. Drake Stoops, Braden Willis, Michael Jones, and Ramondre Stevenson have all caught passes. So, I want to see more Grant Calcaterra. I get it why he hasn't, because he hasn't really been needed. But you get near the red zone in a 17-14 game, middle of the fourth quarter, something like that, late third quarter, you better be looking for Grant Calcaterra in the in the end zone. Yeah, and you know, John, it's interesting you brought up um, Calcaterra and the tight ends, because you know, just randomly um, yesterday, I was just watching Alabama highlights of J- uh, Jalen Hurts, and it seems like what for every ten passes, about seven or eight of his passes at Alabama are over the middle. Yeah. So like it just, I don't think Lincoln Riley's holding the tight ends back for for any particular reason because I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of silly to do because everybody knows about Grant Calcaterra by this point. Everybody knows about the talent of uh, Braden Willis or an Austin Stogner. Everybody knows those guys. So to hold them back is a little silly, but. When you remember that Jalen Hurts is really good at throwing the ball over the middle, it kind of begs that question of, are they just really holding them back for maybe UCLA, maybe Big 12 Conference, maybe Texas? I mean, it just seems silly to me, but yeah. at the same time, all those guys you listed, like eight of those guys could start anywhere. You know, it's once you get into like Drake Stoops and, uh, you, you know, um, who else? Ramondre Stevenson. It's once you get into those names and they're the backups to the backups sure, on this yeah. team. Eight and that's, the, eight, that's been the nature of the game so far, and I get that. Yeah, and it's eight eight of those guys can start anywhere, so it, it you can be a little disappointed that Grant Calcaterra and the tight ends aren't really haven't really been involved in the offense. Two two things they haven't really needed to be one, mm-hmm. and number two, there's just so much talent on this team, especially on the perimeter. It, it's unfair. 
Yeah, it is. Um, and, and I'm with you on that. I'm with you on both of those those uh, takes. But, uh, you know, we talked, I think we've talked in the past about holding Calcaterra back to the Texas game. Yeah, that, that would be silly at this point. Everybody knows he's a, he's an All-American candidate. He's a first-team All-Big 12 candidate. Uh, he's a uh, he's a guy who torched Texas last year in the Big 12 championship game. He's not going to sneak up on anybody this year. So, no, it's uh, – and, and I don't think it's incumbent on Lincoln Riley to say, Jalen, throw the football to the tight end. <laughs> I think Jalen has just got to, to find – uh, someone he trusts, okay. Someone that he's comfortable throwing the ball to. Here's the thing, too. Sometimes the tight end is a, a, I should say, sometimes, frequently, the tight end is more of a safety valve, a second, third, fourth option. Exactly. It was for Jaylen, Baker Mayfield. I mean, even, yeah, and, even even though him and Mark Andrews had great chemistry, he was essentially mm-hmm. like, um, everyone's covered. Where's, where's yeah. Mark? And what does Jalen do when he gets to his second or third option? He takes off running. So. You know, that's that takes your uh, your read progression. It, it really shortens your read progressions and puts you in a mindset of, oh, man, CD's covered. I better get out of here. You yeah. know what I mean? So uh, so hopefully Calcaterra is able to put up some big numbers the rest of this year. Yeah. And I guess one more thing for the tight ends for <clears throat> excuse me, before we move to number three, um, if, if you want if you're super, super pessimistic about this team, <clears throat> I cannot talk this morning. Sorry, guys. If you're super pessimistic about this team still, I mean, there are some people in my group chat that are convinced that OU is going to barely eke out a win today because of, you know, some issues here and there on this team. Um, the good thing about the Titans not really being having been involved thus far is if OU find, finds themselves in kind of a sloppy game early on, uh, CeeDee Lamb isn't getting open, Charleston Rambo's having trouble catching the ball, then you can just then open up the tight ends, and then good luck UCLA trying to stop that, so... There's there's always that fail safe of the tight end position. Definitely, yeah, and, and OU's got some talent at the position. So take off the take off the reins and let them run. <laughs> well, John, go go uh, go ahead and go into uh, number three. Yeah, um, I want to see some uh, defensive line pressure on Dorian Thompson Robinson. I want to see, um, you know, I wrote about this for the franchise, thefranchiseok.com. You need to check it out because it's been ten years, ten long years since Oklahoma produced a all-american defensive tackle, defensive lineman. Okay? Think about yeah. that. That's a long time for a program like OU to not have one all-american defensive lineman was Gerald McCoy in 2009. It's just ridiculous. So, I don't think that's going to change this year. I don't think the Sooners have an all-american on this roster, but by God, those guys can play football. Though Neville Gallimore, uh Jalen Jalen um help me out Brady. Jalen Redmond, why have I forgotten? Leron Stokes, um, those guys, and Ronnie Perkins for sure. Those guys need to be able to generate their own pressure, okay? Their own collapse the pocket, beat the blocker in front of you. Uh, I think that that's a possibility. If if Oklahoma can do that today without having to get creative in the blitz, without having to send Buki, without having to send Kenneth Murray or whoever else, if they can just get pressure with those three guys, or sometimes it'll be four guys because UCLA uses a lot of tight end formations. Yep. Uh, if they can collapse the pocket, generate pressure on DTR, I think Oklahoma wins this game going away. If they don't, if they don't generate pressure, if they don't disrupt things, and I'm talking about just the D line, okay? I'm not talking about blitzes. I'm talking about just the D line. If those guys stand back there and and just take it, get blocked. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a lot closer game than Oklahoma fans want to see. Yeah, and 
UCLA's first two games, and I've watched you know kind of highlights of the uh, San Diego State game, and I watched I think I watched the entire Cincinnati game, other than like a few moments here and there. But their offensive line isn't terrible, John, in my opinion. But they struggle with keeping a steady pocket, and when you're playing at athletes like Ronnie Perkins, Jalen Redmond, Neville Gallimore, if you can't keep a steady pocket against Cincinnati, then as as long as OU is still consistent on the defensive line, that's probably been outside of the receiving core. Uh, the running backs and Jalen Hurts, probably the most consistent thing about this team in these first two games. So if that continues, I weep. <laughs> I weep for UCLA's offensive line today because it, it ain't gonna get. It ain't gonna be pretty. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and and if if uh, here's the thing, if Alex Grinch um, doesn't trust that he can get pressure uh, consistently from those front three guys or four, then he will start dialing up some blitzes. And I I'm eager to see a, a kind of a piggyback something else i want to see uh i want to see what kind of blitzes maybe how creative can he get because we haven't had to see much in these first two games these first two blowouts houston was a you know 18 point final margin probably not that close and then south dakota was you know 70 to 14 he hasn't had to get creative he hasn't had to get desperate and throw some timely blitzes you know at the when you'd least expect it so if the game is close and if those guys are getting pushed around a little bit, if they're not able to get penetration and collapse the pocket, get disruptive, then I think uh, I'm eager to see what Alex Grinch has uh, in his up his sleeve, so to speak. Exactly. And even in that Houston game at the very beginning, at least in the first quarter, you saw some, I, I don't want to say exotic blitz packages, but you saw you saw things that you didn't see against South Dakota, of course. And then if, mm-hmm. anybody, if everybody paid attention last night, that Houston win has aged fairly well. I mean, if yeah. Houston, if Houston doesn't make a few boneheaded plays here and there, they probably probably beat Mike Leach, Mike Leach in, in Washington State. So um, that defensive performance, at least in that first half, has aged really well. But now, John, we got to get to the uh, to the part of the show that everybody kind of wants to know because most fans are just like me. You know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, you're like, okay, OU's going to roll UCLA. UCLA so bad. And then Wednesday and Thursday, yeah. you're like Wednesday and Thursday, you're like ah, I don't know. I remember what this team can do. <laughs> I, I remember what this team is capable of. And then Friday, Saturday morning, you're like, oh god, what what's going to go wrong today? So no, that's you're exactly. <laughs> I feel exactly the same way. You see the scores and you see the teams that they lose to, and you think they're terrible. And then you start looking at the talent. You start looking at the recruiting stars. You start looking at the coaching staff. Do you know Paul Rhodes is, uh, is in his second year as the cornerbacks coach there? I did not know that. Yeah, he's probably thinking. God, where can I get? Where can I go coach defense somewhere where I don't have to coach against the Big Twelve? I know UCLA, <laughs> and then OU shows up on his schedule two years in a row. Bro, he's probably pulling his hair out. Um, real quick on the non-con, as of now, as of this morning, OU's non-con one and six. Yeah, it's not good. It's the worst non-con schedule that they've uh, had in years i don't know how many years but years yeah and it's something where like houston's going to win their fair share of games they're going to win eight maybe nine games mm-hmm. you know and i mean who knows i mean it's it's either houston or ucf maybe in the american athletic conference so um houston's going to win their fair share of games south dakota's an fcs opponent ucla is just bad and that that can happen i mean when ou i'm trying to think when ou scheduled miami back in 2007 2009 you know they scheduled them years prior and Miami was one of the best programs in the country, and then by 2007, they fell off the map. <laughs> yeah. So these things can happen. This is a good indication, too, of how bad the Pac-12 conference has been. OU is the highest-ranked opponent in the Rose Bowl since 2008. 
<laughs> since Sam Bradford was a was a quarterback at OU and winning the Heisman, UCLA has not played a ranked opponent in the top five since 2008. Think about that. If they beat OU, though, this is a great note. Um, the UCLA folks uh, do a good job with putting their notes together. It would be their first win over a top five team since 2006. Oh, God. So That, that would have been US, USC, wouldn't it? I believe that's 100% correct. Yeah. Um, oh. So so as you look at as you look at UCLA and you're thinking exactly as you said to follow up your point. Um so you, you look at their games and you think well they're terrible, they're not very good, they they have no chance. 10 guys made their first career start in a game for UCLA this year and 12 other guys on this roster have played in their first college football game. They've got 22 guys who are basically first-year players? Think about that. So, so they're coming on. Um, I'm e- I'm eager to see what uh, Oklahoma. You know, can they are they catching them at the right time, or have those guys started to uh, to kind of figure things out a little bit? Exactly. So I guess that it's a perfect segue into um, because we've seen OU over the years be somebody's program-defining win or season-defining win, yeah. and this this game can certainly fall into that category because I've said it all week. Um, everything goes out the window for Chip Kelly if they just beat OU. The players start to suddenly buy in. There's suddenly some momentum with the program if they just beat Big Bad OU. And OU's not invincible, and OU has their own problems. So what are some? What are three things that ca- kind of scare you about this game, uh, scares you about OU, not not just outright losing, but potentially being in a game where like you look up at third in the third or fourth quarter and think, mm-hmm. man, this is still a game. It shouldn't be. Yeah, we've talked about it before. Brady, it's the Andre Ware factor. And that is maybe this offensive line really isn't that good. Maybe we're holding these guys to a standard uh, when we say, oh my gosh, Eric Swenson, he needs to try to block without holding. And oh, I thought RJ Proctor was a player when he was at Virginia. And uh, these new guys, you know, maybe they're just not that good yet. Maybe Bill Biedenboe hasn't had a chance to, to get his teaching going, uh, his coaching expertise. He's kind of a Yoda when it comes to that kind of thing. Tough love. Maybe they haven't taken to that yet. Um, I want to see the OU offensive line block, pass block, and and avoid pressure, avoid uh, allowing pressure on Jalen Hurts without holding. That's that's yes. one thing I'm afraid of. And the reason I'm afraid of it, I mean, he's got it in his last name, Hurts. You don't want Jalen Hurts to get hurt. So, uh, again, I take you back to uh, – Andre Ware, when he predicted OU was going to go 8-4, and four, the reason was the offensive line wasn't very good. Well, the offensive line not being very good led to Sam Bradford getting hurt in the first game of the year, de- derailed the whole season. Imagine you know, spinning that forward now 10 years. That was in 2009. Spin that forward 10 years. Uh, Jalen Hurts gets a lot of pressure on him, get, gets rolled over. Something bad happens. The season will go sideways really fast. Yeah, it's something that like, I've thought about it. And yes, the offensive line, it's its still a work in progress. I mean, everybody kind of has the understanding that the right side of the line is is okay. Like, they do their job for the most part. Uh, we all know what Creed Humphrey is capable of. He's an All-American candidate. He could potentially be a, a highly drafted player if he decided to come out after this season because this is his third year at OU. It's going to come down to specifically that left tackle position if OU's going to have kind of similar offensive lines that they've had over the last few years. But um, you've got to give Bill Biedenboe the, the benefit of the doubt at this point, that he's going to figure something out. He's going to find his guys or the guys that he throws out there are going to find their talent and they're going to find their chemistry. But what what scares me is just um, 
you look back at some of these last few years, like 2016, 2015, um, you get all the way into the OU Texas game. You've got guys playing out of position. Um, um, well, specifically, if you look at the OU Texas games for those two years, and then you look at the final game of that particular year, and look at those offensive lines and compare them, you've got guys playing out of position. You've got guys that um, were starting at the beginning of the year that never played again. And you just hate John to see OU potentially, you know, play an ugly game today, potentially lose a game against UCLA, or get by them and then maybe lose down the road to Texas. And then shuffle up their offensive line, and then they find it. That's going to be the uh, concern for me. Yeah, um, I'm telling you, if Kansas can go to Boston College as a 21-point underdog and win by 24, uh, don't think for a second that uh, UCLA can't score an upset today. That's the nature of college football. Yeah, don't scare me anymore. So let's uh, <laughs> let, let's uh, stop talking about the offensive line and go to uh, two, fancy. two other things that will um, scare the hell out of me. Let's do this. All right, um, Lincoln Riley asks Cal Sutherland to kick a, an important field goal. <laughs> I'm a little afraid of that. At because, least, at least the kickoffs looked a little better. Yeah, Gabe Burkage is doing great on the kickoffs. Yeah. He's, uh, I think, he's about 85 percent on, uh, or maybe 75 percent on uh, touchbacks. But no, let's imagine the scenario where Oklahoma's got a, uh, say, a six point lead. Um, 35 to 28 or seven point lead in the fourth quarter, four minutes to go. And Sutherland is asked to go out there and kick a 41 yard field goal. You think he can do it? You think he can stretch it to 10 with four minutes to go? Cause that's, that's a realistic scenario. Um, if not, maybe UCLA goes down and ties it. If it's under seven, maybe, maybe they do a two point conversion and take the lead. But if it's under seven, maybe they somehow take the lead. You see what I'm saying? The kid has never, last week, 10 for 10 on PATs, okay? PATs are easy. Me and you can go out and kick PATs, and I'm not exaggerating one bit. Uh, that's, that's something that's actually fairly easy to do. I've done it before. I've done it before, too. Um, if, what was he, 0 for 2 in the first one with a 34-yarder and a, and a 49-yarder? Yeah. He need he needs some confidence. He needs to be able to to go in the game with uh you know people are going to be upset. All the OU fans are going to be filling the Rose Bowl are going to be screaming, "Oh, go for it, Lincoln, go for it." Lincoln needs to get him out there early in the first quarter. Um kick a couple of 30-yarders, have him see the ball go through the uprights and gain a little confidence so when that time comes that he does have to go out on the field and stretch a one possession lead to two or a two possession lead to three or take the lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, he'll have the confidence to do that. Um, this might be one of those games that's actually, I, I joke that I'm, I'm afraid of seeing it. This might be one of those games that's actually a perfect time to do it. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got to find a kicker. You, you, I mean, it, it, not every kicker you're going to have is going to be Garrett Hartley or Austin Cyber in terms of just consistency. When Whenever they're in their range, you just know, all right, we just need points. Go out there and get us some points. They've got to find their kicker. Maybe not necessarily for today, but... Um, the OU Texas game came down to a field goal last year. Texas had a guy that they could depend on to kick a big, a big clutch field goal in a hostile environment. Um, OU's going to need to find it. And so I thought South Dakota was going to be the good field goal test for OU, but they just kept scoring touchdowns. Hey, which, which works too. That works for me. So, um, if they keep scoring touchdowns today, cool. I don't care. Right. Yeah. Don't need a kicker, right? Who needs a kicker? <laughs> Let's get to the third and final thing before we get to our score predictions, which by the way, everybody, um, you can go back and listen to it right now. John and I were damn near perfect on the Houston score prediction. So um, <laughs> if you're listening to the Inside OU podcast pregame, you're going to get probably um, at least one out of one. You know, it's 
if my math is correct, um, a damn near perfect score prediction. So, um, John, get get um, go ahead and uh, go ahead with your uh, third thing that scares you about the OU game today. Third thing that I'm afraid of. Um, this is more uh, less about what's happening on the field, more, less about position, you know, strife and stuff like that. More about uh, the big picture, existential type stuff. What if Oklahoma goes into this game, sees UCLA as 0-2, sees the teams that they've lost to? They've lost to an AAC team and a Mountain West team, both, both one by nine points, one by ten points. What if they go into this game and say, oh, my God, UCLA sucks. We're going to kick their ass. Uh, so, anyway, what's next? Oh, yeah, we've got an open date coming up. God, I need an open date. It's been a long training camp. I'm so tired. I can't wait to have a couple of days off. And then after that, we start Texas Tech with Big 12 play. Yay, Big 12. I'm so excited. It's going to be great. We're getting an open date, and then we get to play real games against real opponents. What if they have that attitude? They're they're basically overlooking UCLA, basically looking ahead to their open date in Texas Tech and Big 12 play. That could get scary because if, if you're not dialed in, we've seen it. Uh, I don't know what BC's problem was last night, but we've seen it where college football teams go into a game, they're heavily favored, and they screw around. They're the week of preparation. Preparation and practice is terrible. Their mind's not focused. Uh, whatever it is, the coaching is, uh, you know, we've seen coaches out recruiting during weeks like this. Not, that hasn't happened at Oklahoma. I'm just saying we've seen it. What if these guys go into this game and they're totally blowing UCLA off? I think UCLA is good enough to score an upset in that scenario. Yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of talked about this here and there over the last week, John. Um, that certainly is always something that scares me whenever OU goes on the road. Um, just getting up quick. You know, and the game that I'm kind of comparing this to, it, that it eerily re- reminds me of, and for no really particular reason, it's just because I'm super ultra cautious as a fan, is the 07 OU Colorado game. OU gets up 17 to nothing oh, yeah. or 17 oh, to yeah. 3. What a um, disaster. Yeah, it, everything looks great early on, and then OU just kind of fell asleep at halftime. And then um, Colorado, it's not like they just kind of caught offensive rhythm and fire in that second half because trust me I, I went back and watched it a few weeks ago and I hated myself for it but <laughs> it's not like they just caught fire and oh you couldn't do anything about it Colorado did barely anything they just won because OU just absolutely slept at the wheel offensively so that's always on the table when you're a, a highly ranked team when you're a highly talented team playing a, a lesser opponent in terms of talent on the road mm-hmm. you get up on the road, you, yeah. you get you get up big quick and like we like we said earlier in the week, then you start noticing all those awesome mountains, and you you start taking in the environment, mm-hmm. and you start patting yourself on the back before the game's even over, and that can always let your opponent back in. So, kind of that's what a we, great parallel. Yeah, kind of what we talked about um, with the South Dakota game, where we thought eh, maybe they didn't have South Dakota's respect, or maybe oh, you didn't respect South Dakota that as much as they should have, which is on a human level understandable. But in terms of competition, it's silly. You always have to respect your opponent no matter what. OU has to respect their opponent today. Who cares if they're 0-2? Who cares if they haven't won a lot of games in the last few years? Go out there take care of business. Yeah, and that Colorado team, as I, if I recall, finished the year 5-7, and seven, didn't make a bowl game. Lost every game after that one, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was, or, or uh, that was lost Dan... Lost six or last seven, something like that. I believe that was Dan Hawkins's second year, and that was supposed to be... Like, it was kind of a similar moment um, to what Chip Kelly has right now, where that mm-hmm. first season was really bad. Um, the OU Colorado game, I believe, was their first conference game of that year. So it was mm-hmm. early on, like late September, early October, and and they were rolling bad teams. Yep. leading up to that game. 
That's when um, that's when OU sucked on the road, John, and you know full better than everybody <laughs> else out there about that era of OU sucking on the road. But yeah, um, so, that was so confusing. <laughs> no, but yeah, like Dan Hawkins in Colorado, they win that game, and then all of a sudden Colorado has all this momentum, and of course didn't really turn into anything. But that's that's what Chip Kelly and UCLA has on the table for them if they can potentially upset the Sooners. But we will see. Um, so yep. with, with that, John, um, we're right up against the clock. So uh, I'm going to need a score prediction from you. Well, um, this is going to be, it's going to be closer. What's the line is 23, 23 and a half. Yeah. It jumped up. Um, it jumped up to 23 and a half yesterday. I believe I saw somebody on Twitter talking about it. I, here's the deal. UCLA. Listen, I know they've played some bad teams or some, some average teams below average teams. Even they're averaging right now, 127 yards rushing allowed per game. They're only giving up 2.7 yards per carry against Cincinnati and San Diego state. All right, these are two teams, Cincinnati and San Diego State, that were, I guess, solid last year. Cincinnati won 11 games, uh, and they've been known over the years for being able to run the football. Yeah, they've got, ta- right? they've got talent. It's a team that but, you shouldn't take lightly. And, and against UCLA, the, those guys only averaged 2.7 yards per carry. So the, uh, UCLA's defensive front is not terrible. UCLA's defensive front is pretty solid. Did you know against Cincinnati they had seven frontline players out, either starters or contributors? Seven mm-hmm. players UCLA was missing against Cincinnati. So uh, you couple all that with um, OUB, OU's non-conference opponents being a grand total now of one and six. Uh, I'm going to take UCLA to cover the 21 points. I'm going to take uh, OU by the score of 38-24. 38-24 from John Hoover. I'm saying 48-21 OU. Like, I get it. I get all the the um, the cautious the cautiousness surrounding this team. And make no mistake about it, OU has some problems that they have to fix that they before they even thinking about you know winning another Big Twelve championship. So, like, just for the record, I understand all that. But I feel like what Jalen Hurts is bringing to the table in terms of his leadership, I feel like a lot of those things that we talked about that kind of scare us, and, and a lot of it kind of came down to motivation and focus during the game. I think Jalen Hurts can at least lead OU through that, um, especially on the road in, a, in, an, in an environment that is anything but hostile. I mean, I just saw on Twitter that apparently OU fans are going to outnumber UCLA fans. Um, but, hey, OU has lost neutral site games with um, a lot more OU fans in the stands. It's happened before. I believe Houston was probably one of those examples a few years ago where I remember seeing, oh, OU fans outnumber Houston fans or something. But um, I'll tell you one th- one thing real quick. Uh, I, I I kept a running tally of Bob Stoops's losses as a double digit favorite, and it got up there pretty good. It was something like I can't remember what the number was sixteen, fourteen, eighteen, something like that. Tell me I've about got it, John. Written, I've got it written down somewhere. Uh, Lincoln Riley so far, half of his losses. He's twenty six and four as a head coach. Two of his losses were double-digit upsets. Texas last year and um, Iowa State the year before. So, just saying, uh, the, he's growing as a coach. He's evolving as a coach. Uh, he's finding his coaching sea legs, so to speak. So, yeah. as he goes on in his career, he'll figure some things out. But yeah, early on, um, he's he's going to have to do some coaching in this game, I think, to keep. And, and of course, it's all already occurred. Everything that he has said to them has happened before we recorded this podcast. It's happened before they kicked the game off tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully Lincoln had a good week of, of actually coaching and letting these guys know, hey, this is a uh, team that is capable of coming in here, or, or we're going in there. This is a t- team of uh, that's capable of 
of scoring an upset. Everybody thinks you're going to win by uh, two, four touchdowns. Don't buy it. Don't buy the rat poison. <laughs> exactly. No rat poison, please. Just go out there, kick their ass, and uh, so I can have some fun tonight. That sounds good. That yeah. sounds great. Well, John, I'm, uh, I'm going to have some fun this afternoon. I'm covering the uh, Oklahoma State Tulsa game. Yeah, so, uh, I was, I'll I was, be doing kind of a twofer. I was just about to say you're going to be in town. Uh, I mean, where you live, OSU plays Tulsa today. <laughs> um, and in my look, town. look, I understand. Um, 99.99 probably 100 percent of everybody that's listening to this podcast is an OU fan and doesn't care about OSU football one bit but maybe you've got like a brother or sister or somebody a friend that is an OSU fan so I'll just go ahead and let you guys know a part of the franchise podcast network we are launching our OSU um, football podcast it's basically the same thing as the inside OU podcast um, but uh, Madison Morris who uh, covers Thunder basketball with me she's an OSU alum does a wonderful job. Everybody loves Madison. Um, I, I haven't found one person that doesn't like her. She's um, the best. Yeah, she's amazing. She's going to be doing the OSU podcast, which I believe, John, you can go ahead and ex- uh, explain what the name is because you're the one who came up with it. I think the name of the podcast that they've gone with is Come After Me, I'm a Podcast. Exactly. And it's got a um, it's got like a little emoji with a mullet on it, and it's an orange little backdrop, so it, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> But um, I believe, I don't know for sure, um, I gave Madison my microphone, my little tiny microphone to use last night. Um, she's going to record the podcast tonight. You might, <clears throat> excuse me, you might be involved in it, but I know you're busy, so I don't want to say 100% that you're going to be on that, but you're going to be double dipping some OU and OSU coverage today. Triple that's dipping right. if you want to throw yeah. in Tulsa as well. Throw in Tulsa, that's right. We cover to you, so uh, absolutely. And check out uh, everything that I'll write at thefranchiseok.com. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for stopping by before you um, get ready for the fun day of college football, everybody. Uh, thank you guys so, so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast. And remember, hold us accountable to our score predictions because um, we influence everything. Everything we talked about has 100% influence on OU, OU today. Never, <laughs> never forget that. But everybody, um, for Mr. John Hoover, this is Brady Trantham. Y'all have a good rest of your day. Listen to Brady Trantham Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at Brady Does Sports. Listen to John Hoover weekdays from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at John E. Hoover. Subscribe, rate, and review all the podcasts in the Franchise Podcast Network. The Sam Mays Podcast, All In, Inside OU, OKC82, and Intimate with TV's Jerry can be found in all the places you listen to your podcasts. Seriously, just subscribe. You don't even have to listen.